Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? It is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Friday, January 13th, 2023. I almost said 2022. I am Dave Biddle. Very happy to be joined by Jonah Booker for his usual Friday visit. Friday the 13th, but have no fear. Jay Book is here. We're going to answer a lot of questions that were posed to us uh, from Bucknut subscribers on the front row message board. Um, plenty of stuff to get to. I'm going to retweet the show here real quick uh, before we uh, get to that. Um, Jay Book, the first question is going to come from Nutso. He says, as a former Division I defensive back like you are, what is your opinion on what went wrong in the final three games of the season with the passing defense? He asks, A, bad coaching, B, bad technique, C, bad luck, and I'm going to add one more in there that he didn't add, D, personnel not good enough, or all of the above. What are you going with? What was wrong with the pass defense the last three games? All of the above, Dave. Just in my opinion, I, th- I thought the pass defense was a hot mess. Um, I will say this. I am not 100% sold that a three-safety look will work um, against the elites. And the reason I say that, Dave, is because when you're dealing against the high-level teams, they're going to have an offensive coordinator who's going to be able to scheme up those safeties. What I mean by that is in this system under Jim Knowles, you're asking a lot from your safeties. You're putting a lot of pressure on them. When you're putting those safeties man-to-man on a slot, that is a mismatch. When you're putting uh, Lathan Ransom running against a guy who runs a 10-flat 100 meters, that's a mismatch. Anytime you can uh, match up your slot wide receiver against a Tanner McAllister, that's a mismatch. So I just think that those guys are safeties for a reason. They struggle to turn their hips and flip their hips and run. Um, I'm more of a proponent of if a team comes out in three and four wide sets, Dave, you need to have a second or a third or fourth corner on the field for the simple fact that, you know, look at it in Ohio State terms. If a safety's down in in, in the box trying to guard a Jackson Smith and Jigma, uh, a Chris Alave, a Curtis Samuel, what is, what's going to happen? They're going to take those advantages all day, every day, and use that person as the mark. So that's why I'm I'm a little skeptical about the three safety look, especially when you're going against pass heavy teams. We've seen that this off this defense has struggled against the wide receiver position. I think they ranked in the bottom uh, half of the NCAA is like 109, 110th when it came to rankings. When it came to guarding the wide receiver position, you can blame that on personnel not being good enough. We we talked about from week one all the way into the end of the season when it came to technique. 
it was still an issue, <laughs> the same issues that we saw in week one. It really never got better. So I think it's a combination of of all the above. All right, next question. Um, th- this actually comes from me. No one asked really asked this question on, on our – I started a thread on Bucknuts on our front row message board. Um, you know, every once in a while we just like to ask, you know, our subscribers on Bucknuts who are supporting us to ask the questions for the show, so they did that. No one asked, is Jim Knowles the answer, Jay Book? So I posed this question to you. Uh, I think we were all believers in Jim Knowles. Um, I, I still want to give him a second year for sure. I still – Feel like I believe in him, but I'm disappointed. Um, I'll ask you, sir. Is Jim Knowles the answer for Ohio State? That's a great question, Dave. Um, you know, if you if you would have asked me week five, week six, I'd have been like, heck yeah, can't you see it? I would, let's be fair. Let's break it down. I do think the defense had improvement in certain areas. I thought the linebacker play was outstanding uh, this year. It was a major upgrade from what we saw in previous years. So I thought Tommy and Steele played really well. I do think that um, there are times, and I don't understand this logic where, hey, we're going to give up four to five big plays a game. I've come from a mind frame that, hey, you stop everybody. You try to eliminate the big plays. Um, So I am curious to see how that's going to play out in the long run. And I can tell you Ryan Day is extremely frustrated. So if you listen to his post-game comments after the Peach Bowl, he said that that was a major talking point was we got to stop giving up the big plays. That was something that they talked about over and over and over again after the Michigan game. Uh, So you can tell Ryan Day is is frustrated with that. With that being said, I'm willing to give him an additional year because – it is a complicated defense. I do think that they will be better next year with the guys deciding to come back. I do believe the front seven will be lights out next year. It's always going to be what happens in the back end, what happens with the corners and the safeties. I will say this on the other people on the other side to play devil's advocate. People talk about was there a gradual improvement from the Kerry Cones defense? I would say yes. There was only one way to go, which is up. Right, um, right. But if Go you're, if, yep. It, yep. But if you're going to be fair, that the last year the Kerry Cones defense they faced eight top fifty offenses, so they were going against guys who had the chops to really uh, put up points. Jim Knowles defense faced three to only three to four top 50 defenses and those particular defenses he was giving up 40 points a game so you have to ask yourself is it a talent is it a coaching I find it hard to believe that so many other programs in the country has more talent than Ohio State I don't believe that at all uh, Ohio State recruits at a high clip it's a matter of developing the guys holding on to guys and making sure that you're not putting guys in the right uh, making sure you're not putting guys in a bad situation. You talk about the like the ransom slip. Should we even been in that defense? Should Cam when you're up two scores in the fourth quarter? Right. Should you, should you even put a Cam Martinez in the Michigan game in a situation to where he's man to man and there's no safety help over top? Um, so those are some of the things that I have questions about, like situation awareness, not necessarily Jim, a good defensive coordinator. I do think that if you're paying a guy almost $2 million, you hope that he's going to have a better defense than what Kerry Combs previously had. All right. Um, so I asked you about defensive coordinator. You know, Ryan Day has a decision to make um, about offensive coordinator. 
let's say I told you that later today Brian Hartline was going to be promoted to offensive coordinator. Would you like that if that happened later today? Hey, let's go. Let's go, Brian Hartline. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that with him being young, giving a fresh set of eyes, he's, he's going to be able to uh, bring an innovative look to the offense. We all know what Ryan Day is going to do. I do, I do think, Dave, that – even if I, you know, they announce it later on that he is potentially going to be the offensive coordinator, that Ryan Day will still be heavily involved. I, I, I will say this: the, the Ryan Day that we saw against uh, Georgia, where he's out there flexing, he's all gas, no brakes. That's the Ryan Day that we in the yes. play calling that we were all yes. hoping to see all all year round. So if, if Brian Hartline can get in there and really mix it up, then I, I definitely think that this offense has the potential to be special. Obviously, they need to figure out the, the offensive line because they've missed on some of the transfer portal tackles. But the, the talent is going to be there right now. And I said it earlier, you know, this week, regardless whoever wins the quarterback position, you're being handed the keys to a Lamborghini. Just keep that bad boy on the road. Don't wreck it. You're going to have all of your weapons back. And I just think that Brian Hartline with his NFL pedigree will be able to bring some innovative and creative uh, type of schematic advantages to the table. One thing I will be curious about is will we transition from a stretch running team to a downhill gap running scheme, which Kevin Wilson was a big proponent of running that stretch. Justin Fry likes to like his uh, offensive lineman running, getting downhill, firing, firing off the football when it comes to the running uh, the running game. So I'm curious to see how they're going to be able to mesh that in with Brian Hartline. All right, next question from the Meal Ticket: Who are some elite recruiters on the defensive side of the football from outside of the program that you'd like to see come to Ohio State, Jay Book? Is there anybody that comes to mind from outside the program? Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but I don't think they're going to really make any type of transitions on the defense and, unless Larry decides on his own terms that he's uh, he's ready to go off into retirement. And if that's the case, then I could see someone replacing Larry. Um, you know, a name to throw out there is uh, Randall Joyner, Ole Miss yep. uh, defensive line coach. I think he would probably be on the short list of guys. He was a former Ohio State grad assistant coach under Larry Johnson. Um, so Larry was able to mentor him before he went off to be the SMU uh, defensive line coach. And from there, he's been in the SEC for the last several years under Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. So that's somebody who I would keep an eye on if Larry decides. Other than that, I, I don't anticipate that they're going to make any type of moves on the defensive side of the football. There will be a question later about Tim Walton. I think you just answered it, though. But uh, next question is from Akron Zip Buckeye. Jay Booker, is you, are you as freaked out as most Ohio State fans seem to be about the offensive line? Akron Zip Buckeye adds, he thinks the panic is premature. He wants to see the kids play first. Um, where's your uh, panic level at with this uh, 2023 O-line? Uh, Ten being the highest, I say right now I'm at a three. Um you know, maybe maybe a four if there if there are injuries. And here's the reason why I say that is I have all the utmost faith that Justin Fry will have the guys ready to go. Um, and you look at it right now. Zim Mikowski is a guy who's coming in that may be starting at your left tackle. If you to ask me 
a year ago, would Zim Mikowski even play at Ohio State? Was he a reach? You look at it, and they love him. They think that he uh, is going to be a, a big-time player here. So that right there tells me that there's development going on behind the scenes. We saw what George, uh, Ohio State offensive line was able to do against Georgia. I thought the offensive line played outstanding, and that is because Justin Fry was able to coach those guys up. As we progressed during the season, a lot of people had questions in regards to the offensive line and if it was the reason why they weren't able to pick up short yardage. Come to find out, once you throw on the tape, a lot of times it was the running backs who were just missing their cuts. The, the running lanes were there. So I do think that they have guys there. Would they need to be coached up? Absolutely. But I have faith that Justin Fry is going to get those guys coached up. But if you look at the, the depth there, I don't think they have any room for error when it comes to injuries. I know they went 0 for 5 right now when it comes to getting tackles out of the transfer portal. So I hope from I hope, you know, come uh, the next transfer portal window and come after spring football, they can at least find one or two more guys. But I'm not panicking. I just think that they have some guys there. It's just a matter of getting them developed, getting them coached up. And I have the utmost confidence that Justin Fry is going to be able to do that. All right, next one comes from NM02074. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg is back. That's great, as he says. That's fantastic news. As, as you know, That's huge. That's absolutely huge. Um, he wants to know, and we've had other questions about this too, what about C.J. Hicks? He says, any chance he hits the portal? I will point out C.J. Hicks is an outside linebacker, not a middle linebacker. Those two things really have nothing to do with each other. But there have been other people that have wondered about C.J. Hicks. I think – he's going to stick around what what do you think jb i definitely think he's going to stick around a lot of people look at cj and they look like you, you look at the body you know he looks like he's chiseled out of a you know steel <laughs> he looks like a greek god out there people think like automatically five star the way he looks you know athletic guy boom he should be on the field right away but that's not necessarily the case you look at cj he's a guy that came from a high school program that has put him behind where he needs to be when it comes to his development he didn't have any uh high school uh spring ball and Playing down there in the Dayton area, no offense, Dave, if you look at the high school football down there, it's not necessarily playing at the highest level of competition. So when he came into Ohio State, there was a learning curve. He wasn't ready to go, even though people look at the lofty rankings and uh, his freakish athleticism, it's going to take him time to get developed. Do I want to see him on the field this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I definitely think that. Tommy coming back doesn't affect uh, CJ. I think it's more of him playing in a role where still Chambers is at. So I would like to see some of those guys uh, getting into into some type of rotation. One of the things that you can like it, you can hate it when it comes to Jim Knowles defense. He is a big proponent of not rotating guys. We had I had Chimdi Chekwa on one of the Twitter spaces, and I asked him personally. I was like, Chimdi, as a player um, or as a recruit. How do you view that? And he said, that's, that's going to be tough to recruit high-level players when you don't rotate any of those young guys. And it also stunts their development because you can't simulate game reps in practice. you got to be able to get on the field when the, when the uh, bullets are flying to really understand how you need to play at the college level. College level. So take it, uh, love it, hate it. That's just the way Jim knows operates. 
But personally, I would like to see CJ get more reps this coming season, having some type of rotation with Steel Chambers. All right, this is a this is a, you're gonna have to. Uh, I don't know if you want to fly through this, however you want to do it. But Borny twenty two requests J book. Can you name the eleven offensive starters for the opener against Indiana? So. <laughs> uh, let's go. I mean, if you want to go starters, I'll go Trevion Henderson at your running back. Obviously, your wide receivers are still going to be the same with Marvin Harrison Jr. Mecca book at S three. K Stover is going to be your tight end at four. Uh, that puts me in a spot to have to pick the quarterback position. So I'm going to go Kyle McCore at five at the quarterback quarterback position. Uh, we're going to have Friars, one of your tackles, uh, at six. You're going to have Donovan Jackson at seven. You're going to have Matthew Jones at eight. You're going to have Zim Mikowski at nine. And then Enoch Vamahi at 10. And then throw in another wide receiver there. And then you're probably looking at Julian Fleming as your 11th player. So, that's your 11, your 11 offensive starters. Nailed it. <laughs> what I said the exact same thing. That Very, very, very well done, sir. Um, center might be interesting. I think we're all assuming myself included, yourself included, Matt Jones will just slide over as a six-year senior, play center, get Enoch in there, and I think that is what's going to happen. Um, who knows, though? Maybe Carson Hinsman can uh, make a run at center, leaving Matt Jones at right guard, maybe Jacob James. But I think you're right. I think it's going to be Matt Jones moving to center and Enoch Vamahi as a fourth-year player getting in there. As a starter. All right. Um, all right. Now, we've had a lot of people ask about this, inclu- including Kurt Kevin. Kurt Kevin, man, are we buying this C.J. Stroud rumor that he's coming back, that he's considering coming back? At first when I heard this, I'm like, yeah, you heard this at 31 Flavors, didn't you, Ferris Bueller? <laughs> you know, And but now there's like a lot of smoke out there, and he hasn't announced anything yet. He's a millionaire um, just by NIL. I don't know. I'm still not buying it. Are you buying any of this? Man, I, I'm in the mind frame of I'm not buying it. If it come, if it happens, I will be I will be pleasantly surprised. And I, I I just go in with the mind frame of expect the worst, uh, hope for the best when it comes to it. But I mean, it's going to be hard to turn down that type of money. You're talking about you know thirty million dollars signing bonus in his draft slot. Right. <laughs> and so yes, I know people have been on Twitter saying, oh, Justin Fields only made. Four million. If CJ comes back and makes four million, yes, technically as far as per salary, but they're not taking into account that the way is the NFL is structured, is they're going to get a monster signing bonus, which offsets their cap numbers. And as the revenue, the NFL revenue goes up, I think it's something along the lines of top five picks is anywhere looking between twenty-five to thirty-five million dollars signing bonus. So if he does come back, hey. Ohio State's going to be right there in the mix again, um, running back. I still think that even if he doesn't come back with the talent and everybody coming back, regardless if it's, uh, you know, Devin Brown or McCord, I do I do think Ohio State will be right back into the playoffs. So it, I don't know, Dave. I, j- I just can't see it. No, it just it's just, uh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. And I don't think I'm going to see it, but I hope I'm wrong. You laid yeah. it out perfectly. Just uh, – Expect the worst, hope for the best. The fact that we're even talking about it blows my mind. I almost didn't even want to bring it up, but a lot of people wanted to, you know, wanted to hear us but, talk about it. I, but yeah, I was I will say this, Dave. Even if he doesn't come back, I think it's a good sign for college football because I know people rail against NIL and everything that's wrong with NIL and how it's you know tampering and corrupting the college football game. But in this instance, I truly believe that. 
NIL has caused a lot of these Ohio State players to come back. Everybody knows that Ohio State is being tampered with by a lot of these other programs. A lot of these programs are offering significant amount of money. The fact that the NIL Foundation and the collective can potentially come up with enough cash to make him even think about it, that right there tells me, you know, that that's something to keep an eye on as we go down the line because what kid will think about turning down $30 million? But when you've already made $2.5 million, you can make another four and some change. Then you can think about like, hey, maybe college, you know, I love college. I love hanging out with my friends. I love, you know, just going to be able to go have a beer with my boys and after the game or something and just enjoy the college life. And I still got a lot of money in my pocket. That right there can make kids, you know, second guess if they want to leave for the NFL. All right. This is from One Bad Buck. I got a couple from him. Um, if you were a Michigan, would you fire Harbaugh due to all this flirting with the NFL two straight years now? <laughs> I wouldn't fire him, but I would put an ultimatum, uh, you know, to say, hey, here's a contract um, with a buyout clause. And if you don't sign it by – you know, X amount of date, then at that point, you're not going to get a new contract. At, at some point, Michigan has to put their foot down and say enough is enough. Either you're here or you're not like this constant flirting, you know, back and forth with the NFL. It makes him look bad. It makes the program look bad. But the, the athletic director has to put a, put his foot in the dirt and say, Jim, you're either with this or you're not. I mean, he's he's purposely sabotaging their own recruiting. I know he's not doing it intentional, but this is two years in a row where he's flirting with the NFL right around the next signing day. And if I'm a recruit, I'm skeptical. Why would I go to Michigan when I don't know Jim's going to be there? He's He's illustrated over the last several years that he doesn't want to be there. So why should I buy their recruiting pitch to say, come to Michigan, the leaders in the greats or whatever they say up there, when the head coach is anytime some uh, NFL job opens up, he's throwing his name in a hat. So it's obvious that Jim wants to get the heck out of there. So why should I go there if I'm a recruit? That's some of the questions. If I was a parent and my kid was re- being recruited, like, hey, what's going on here? Like, are you even going to be here next year? What's the deal? I'm curious what's going to happen. Like, there's, you know, talk that he's emerged as one of the leading candidates for the Broncos. But if Sean Payton wants that job. Uh, I'm sure they'll give it to Peyton over Harbaugh. The thing is, that's not a good job. I mean, the Broncos are, uh, you know, historically a very good organization. But, man, they're tied to Russell Wilson, uh, with that guaranteed contract uh, for the next six years. Um, they don't have much cap space because of that. They traded away a boatload of draft picks. you got to play Patrick Mahomes twice a year. you got to play Justin right. Herbert twice a year. Then the AFC's t- – I mean, that's that's not a good job. I think Harbaugh would take it. We'll see if the Broncos want him. I think uh, Harbaugh would take any job that's offered to him. Right. Anything in the NFL. He would I mean, it, yeah. if it's if it's Carolina, if it's the Colts, right. uh, I think anyone that's offered to him. I, I just think that he has a burning desire to get back to the NFL to try to compete for a Super Bowl and building an NFL franchise back up into a playoff contender. I just think that is something that he wants to do. I mean, he – he, he would be leaving Michigan in a much better place than when he took over for Brady Hope. He beat Ohio State twice. He has two Big Ten championships. He was right there on the door for winning the national championship. If he walks away from there, I know that Michigan faithful would be irritated and you know probably throw some insults his way. But at the same time, he would be leaving the program in a much better place. 
All right, two more. We'll get you out of here. This is from One Bad Buck. As promised, the question about Tim Walton. He says, Jay Buck, how do you feel about firing assistants after one year? People are calling for Tim Walton's head. I will add this. I just saw Dabo fired his offensive coordinator after one year. Um, his offensive coordinator left for, um, I believe it was the Virgin, was it the Virginia job? Um, yeah. and, um, they already fired their offensive coordinator after one year. Dabo did. He's been pretty loyal to assistants. So what do you think? Do you, what do you think about firing assistants after one year? And do you think, uh, Tim Walton should be on the chopping block? And do you think Perry Eliano should be coaching corners? A lot to unpack there. Yeah. When it, when it comes to firing coaches, you know, you hate it. But you have to understand this is big boy college football. You you have to look at it as far as more of a human aspect of it. These guys, wherever they were previously located, they've moved their family up to Columbus, thinking that this is going to be a job. He's a former, you know, Buckeye himself. You have to look at it as, hey, I see this man every day. These coaches, their families and stuff interact there. These coaches' kids all go to the same schools and everything. So you have to ask yourself, is it the personnel? Is it the coaching? And just really roll up the sleeve and have honest to honest man to man type of conversation. I didn't think the corners played very well this year. If you if you're a firm believer of PFF, um, J.K. Johnson played over 400 snaps. He graded out as a 55. Jordan Hancock supposed to be the next up and coming guy. He graded even lower in the low 50s. Those are F's. So that's unacceptable. We saw what Denzel Burke this year. Cam Brown had his struggles. So if you're if you're going to look, you know, at the cornerback position, you have to be objective, be honest, and say Tim Walton just didn't get the job done. Now you want to talk about Perry Eliano? That can, that's a conversation that goes back initially from the hiring. I didn't understand why he wasn't the initial corners coach to begin with. He's a guy with an uh, impeccable resume coming over from Cincinnati where he just coached Sauce Gardner, who's arguably the best cornerback in the NFL as a rookie who has pristine technique. You look at Kobe Bryant, he's starting for the Seattle Seahawks as a rookie who has have, who's having a heck of a year as he a first year. Yeah. yeah, he won the Thorpe, and he's having a heck of a year in Seattle who was drafted in the later rounds. So you have to ask yourself if a guy has the recruiting, he has the recruiting chops, he has the, the eye for the talent, he can develop that talent. Why wasn't he uh, placed as the cornerback coach initially from the start? Because if I'm Ryan Day and, I, and I've seen what my secondary has looked like over the last several years under Kerry Combs and I look at Cincinnati's corners, I'm going to say, hey, Perry, come and do that for me. Come over here to Ohio State and develop my sauce gardeners, develop my Kobe Bryant's out of my own secondary. Absolutely. And the, the commenters are all agreeing with you on that. Uh, final question. This is from Deegs. Deegs wants to know, Jay Book, why doesn't Ohio State ever target up-and-coming staffers from programs in the South like Georgia and Alabama? He says the recruiting ties of the South would be huge. Plus, those coaches would have experience working under guys like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. Why doesn't Ohio State target up-and-comers from Alabama and Georgia? That's a great question. I'm not sure. Um, I do think that they definitely need to tap into the South a little bit more. I know they hired the high school uh, coach from Georgia who just recently departed to Tulsa to be the D-line coach for um, 
for uh, Kevin, Kevin Wilson. Wilson. Yep, slipped my mind. Uh, so I do think that they definitely need to tap into the South a little bit more, bring those guys up as analysts. I know Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, they probably have like 20 to 30 guys on the staff when you're when you're counting all of the analysts. So I definitely think that just getting those guys in there, hopefully the NCAA can eventually rule that you can have more coaches on the field. And I, I do think that will open up the pipeline. But I would also like to see, you know, some of these, some of these guys like Mike Doss, um, some of these guys uh, who are great Ohio State legends who are interested into getting into coaching. Yes. I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing a Mike Doss transitioning to an analyst role to get his feet wet in the coaching ranks because secondary has been a major issue. And if a guy, if a legend like Mike Doss, who wants to be part of the coaching staff, find a way to bring him on as an analyst so that he can get his recruiting career, his coaching career started. And if he turns into a gym like Brian Hartline, then boom, you can just go ahead and bring him into a full-time staffer if you need it. Yeah, and like I said, maybe there could be possibly some Brian Hartline news later today. <laughs> By the way, with the C.J. Hicks comment, I meant to say this earlier. Um, anybody from Kettering Alter High School in the Dayton area uh, can uh, direct your complaints to Jay Book. Uh, I had nothing to do with that. I would never speak a bad word about Kettering <laughs> Alter High School like Jay Book did. No, great. I didn't say I didn't. I didn't speak bad. I just said that he he was a little behind the curve because of the competition that he played against. He flat out dominated. So when it comes to technique and what you needed to do to thrive at the next level, it's going to take him a little bit of development time. That's it. Hey, as a Beaver Creek guy, in all honesty, you can talk all the smack you want about Kettering Alter. <laughs> just make sure Jerry Radzinski's not around and guys like that. But uh, we had some uh, some very good basketball battles against them. So uh, you talk all you want about uh, negatively about Kettering Alter. No, great stuff out of Jay Book here on Friday the 13th. Really appreciate it, JB. Appreciate all you guys tuning in. Thank you for all the questions from Bucknut subscribers. Thanks to our live audience. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Jay Book. Thanks to all of you. Hope everyone has a great day and a great weekend. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We're in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.